Before the Dawn, A Story of the Fall of Richmond by Joseph A. Altscheller Published by Doubleday, Page, and Company, April 1903 Produced by Civil War Audio at civilwar.builtwithflash.com Read by John Bruzes You can find us on Facebook at Civil War Audio Podcast. Chapter 21, A Delicate Situation. The wounded and those who watched them in the old house learned a little of the race through the darkness, the change of the field of combat, the struggle for Spotsylvania, and the wheelabout of the southern army would leave them in the path of the north, and they must retreat toward Richmond. The start next morning was through a torn and rent wilderness, amid smoke and vapors, with wounded in the wagons, making a solemn train that wound its way through the forest, escorted on either flank by troopers, commanded by Talbot, slightly wounded in the shoulder. The secretary had gone again to look on at the battle. It was thus that Lucia Catherwood found herself on the way, of her own free will, to that Richmond from which she had recently escaped with so much trouble. There was no reason, real or conventional, why she should not go, as the precious pass from the secretary removed all danger. And there in Richmond was Miss Grayson, the nearest of her blood. Helen removed the last misgiving. "'You will go with us. We need you,' she said. "'Yes,' replied Lucia simply. "'I shall go to Richmond. I have a relative there with whom I can stay until the end of the war.'" Helen was contented with this. It was not a time to ask questions. Then they rode together. Mrs. Markham was with them, quiet and keen-eyed. Much of the battle spell had gone from her, and she observed everything, most of all Lucia Catherwood. She had noticed how the girl's eyes dwelled upon Prescott, the singular compound of strength and tenderness in her face, a character at once womanly and bold, and the astute Mrs. Markham began to wonder where these two had met before, but she said nothing to anyone. Prescott was in a wagon with Harley. Fate seemed to have linked for a while these two, who did not particularly care for each other. Both were conscious, and Prescott was sitting up, refreshed by the air upon his face, a heavy and noxious atmosphere, though it was. So much of his strength had returned that he felt bitter regret at being unable to take part in the great movement which, he had gathered, was going on, and it was this feeling which united him and Harley, for the time, in a common bond of sympathy. But the latter presently spoke of something else. "'That was a beautiful girl who replaced your bandage this morning, Prescott. Upon my honor, she is one of the finest women I've ever seen, and she is going with us, I hear. Do you know anything about her?' Prescott did not altogether like Harley's tone, but he knew it was foolish to resent it, and he replied, she is Miss Lucia Catherwood, a relative of Miss Charlotte Grayson, who lives in Richmond, and whom I presume she is going there to join. I have seen Miss Catherwood once or twice in Richmond. Then he relapsed into silence, and Harley was unable to draw from him any more information. But Prescott, watching Lucia, saw how strong and helpful she was, doing all she could for those who were not her own. A woman with all a woman's emotions and sympathies, controlled by a mind and body stronger than those of most women, 
she was yet of the earth, real and substantial, ready to take what it contained of joy or sorrow. This was one of her qualities that most strongly attracted Prescott, who did not like the shadowy or unreal. Whilst he was on the earth, he wished to be of it, and he preferred the sure and strong mind to the misty and dreamy. He wished that she would come again to the wagon in which he rode, but now she seemed to avoid him, to be impelled, as it were, by a sense of shyness or a fear that she might be thought unfeminine. Thus he found scant opportunity during the day to talk to her, or even to see her, as she remained nearly all the time in the rear of the column with Helen Harley. Harley's vagrant fancy was caught. He was impressed by Lucia's tall beauty, her silence, her self-possession, and the mystery of her presence. He wished to discover more about her, who she was, whence she came, and believing Prescott to be his proper source of information, he asked him many questions, not noticing the impatient or taciturn demeanor of his comrade, until Robert at last exclaimed with a touch of anger, "'Harley, if you wish to know so much about Miss Catherwood, you had better ask her these questions, and if she wishes, she will answer them.' "'I knew that before,' replied Harley coolly, "'and I tell you again, Prescott, she's a fine girl, none finer in Richmond.' Prescott turned his back in so far as a wounded man in that narrow space could turn, and Harley presently relapsed into silence. They were yet in the wilderness, moving among scrub pines, oaks, and cedars, overground moist with rain and dark with the shadow of the forest. It was Talbot's wish to keep in the rear of the southern army until the way was clear, and then turn toward Richmond. But this was not done with ease as the southern army was a shifting quantity, adapting its movements to those of the north, and Talbot often was compelled to send scouts ahead, lest he march with his convoy of wounded directly into the northern ranks. Once, as he rode by the side of Prescott's wagon, he remarked, "'Confound such a place as this wilderness. I don't think any region ever better deserved its name. I'll thank the Lord when I get out of it and see daylight again.' They were then in a dense forest, where the undergrowth was so thick that they broke a way through it with difficulty. The trees hung down mournful branches, dripping with recent rain. The wheels of the wagons and the feet of the horses made a drumming sound in the soft earth. The forest fire still showed, distant and dim, and a thin mist of ashes came on the wind at intervals. Now and then they heard the low roll of a cannon, so far away that it seemed but an echo. Thomas Talbot was usually a cheerful man who shut one eye to grief and opened the other to joy. But he was full of vigilance today and thought only of duty. Riding at the head of his column, alert for danger, he was troubled by the uncertainties of the way. It seemed to him that the two armies were revolving like spokes around a hub, and he never knew which he was going to encounter for chance might bring him into the arc of either. He looked long at the gloomy forest, gazed at the dim fire which marked the latest battlefield, and became convinced that it was his only policy to push on and take the risk, though he listened intently for distant cannon shots and bore away from them. They stopped about the middle of the afternoon to rest the horses and serve the men and women with scanty food. 
Prescott felt so strong that he climbed out of the wagon and stood for a moment beside it. His head was dizzy at first, but presently it became steady, and he walked to Lucia Catherwood, who was standing alone by a great oak tree, gazing at the forest. She did not notice him until she heard his step in the soft earth close behind her. When she started in surprise and alarm, exclaiming upon the risk he took and cautioning against exertion. My head is hard, he said, and it will stand more blows than the one I received in the battle. Really, I feel well enough to walk out here, and I want to speak to you. She was silent, awaiting his words. A shaft of sunshine pierced an opening in the foliage and fell directly upon her. Golden gleams appeared here and there in her hair, and the color in her cheeks deepened. Often, Prescott had thought how strong she was. Now he thought how very womanly she was. "'You are going with the wounded to Richmond?' he asked. "'Yes,' she replied. "'I am going back to Miss Grayson's, to the house in the city from which you helped me with so much trouble and danger to escape.' "'I am easier in my conscience because I did so,' he said. "'But, Miss Catherwood, do you not fear for yourself? "'Are you not venturing into danger again?' "'She smiled once more and replied in a slightly humorous tone. "'No, there is no danger. "'I went as one unwelcome before. "'I go as a guest now. "'You see, I am rising in the Confederacy. "'One of your powerful men, Mr. Sefton, has been very kind to me. "'What has he done for you?' "'asked Prescott, with a sudden jealous twinge. "'He has given me this pass, "'which will take me in and out of Richmond as I wish.' "'She showed the pass, "'and as Prescott looked at it, "'he felt the color rise in his face. "'Could the heart of the secretary "'have followed the course of his own? "'I am here now, I may say, "'almost by chance,' she continued. "'After I left you, "'I reached the main body of the Northern Army in safety.' and I intended to go at once to Washington, where I have relatives, though none so near and dear as Miss Grayson. You see, I am really of the South, in part at least. But there was a long delay about a pass, the way of going and other things, and while I was waiting, General Grant began his great forward movement. There was nothing left for me to do then but to cling to the army, and, and I thought I might be of some use there. Women may not be needed on a battlefield, but they are afterward. I, most of all men, ought to know that, said Prescott earnestly. Don't I know that you, unaided, brought me to that house? Were it not for you, I should probably have died alone in the wilderness. I owed you something, Captain Prescott, and I tried to repay a little, she said. You owe me nothing. The debt is all mine. Captain Prescott, "'I hope you do not think I have been unwomanly,' she said. "'Unwomanly? Why should I think it? "'Because I went to Richmond alone, "'though I did so really because I had nowhere else to go. "'You believe me a spy, "'and you think for that reason I was trying to escape from Richmond.' "'She stopped and looked at Prescott, "'and when she met his answering gaze, "'the flush in her cheeks deepened. "'Ah, I was right. You do think me a spy.' she exclaimed with passionate earnestness, and God knows I might have been one. Some such thought was in my mind when I went to Miss Grayson's in Richmond. That day in the President's office, when the people were at the reception, I was sorely tempted, but I turned away. I went into that room with the full intention of being a spy. I admit it. 
Morally, I suppose that I was one until that moment. But when the opportunity came, I could not do it. The temptation would come again, I knew, and it was one reason why I wished to leave Richmond, though my first attempt was made because I feared you. I did not know you then. I do not like the name of spy, and I do not want to be one. But there were others, and far stronger reasons. A powerful man knew of my presence in that office on that day. He could have proved me guilty, even though innocent, and he could have involved with my punishment the destruction of others. There was Miss Grayson. How could I bring ruin upon her head? And, and... She stopped, and the brilliant color suffused her face. You used the word others, said Prescott. You mean that so long as you were in Richmond, my ruin was possible because I helped you? She did not reply, but the vivid color remained in her face. It is nothing to me, said Prescott, whether you were or were not a spy, or whether you were tempted to be one. My conscience does not reproach me because I helped you, but I think that it would give me grievous hurt had I not done so. I am not fitted to be the judge of anybody, Miss Catherwood, least of all you. It would never occur to me to think you unwomanly. You see that I value your good opinion, Captain Prescott, she said, smiling slightly. It is the only thing that makes my opinion of any worth. Talbot approached at that moment. Prescott introduced him with the courtesy of the time, not qualified at all by their present circumstances, and he regarded Talbot's look of wonder and admiration with a secret pleasure. What would Talbot say, he thought, if he were to tell him that this was the girl for whom he had searched Miss Grayson's house? Prescott, said Talbot, a bruised head has put you here, and a scratched arm keeps me in the same fix. But this is almost our old crowd in Richmond again. Miss Harley and her brother, Mrs. Markham, you and myself. We ought to meet Winthrop, Raymond, and General Wood. We may, added Prescott, as they are all somewhere with the army. Raymond is probably printing an issue of his paper in the rear of it. He certainly has news, and as General Wood is usually everywhere, we are not likely to miss him. I think it just as probable that we shall meet a troop of Yankee cavalry, said Talbot. I don't know what they would want with a convoy of wounded Confederates, but I'm detailed to take you to safety, and I'd like to do it. He paused and looked at Lucia. Something in her manner gave him a passing idea that she was not of his people. Still, there is not much danger of that, he continued. The Yankees are poor horsemen, not to be compared with ours. Are they, Miss Catherwood? She met his gaze directly and smiled. I think the Yankee cavalry is very good, she said. You may call me a Yankee, too, Captain Talbot. I am not traveling in disguise. Talbot stroked his mustache, of which he was proud, and laughed. I thought so, he said, and I can't say I'm sorry. I suppose I ought to hate all the Yankees. But really, it will add to the spice of life to have with us a Yankee lady who is not afraid to speak her mind. Besides, if things go badly with us, we can relieve our minds by attacking you. Talbot was philosophical as well as amiable, and Prescott saw at once that he and Lucia would be good friends, which was a comfort, as it was in the power of the commander of the convoy to have made her life unpleasant. Talbot stayed only a minute or two, then rode on to the head of the column, and when he was gone, Lucia said, Captain Prescott, you must go back to your wagon. It is not wise for you to stay on your feet so long, at least not yet. He obeyed her reluctantly, 
and in a few moments the convoy moved on through the deep woods to the note of an occasional and distant cannon shot, and a faint hum as of great armies moving. An hour later they heard a swift gallop, and the figure of wood at the head of a hundred horsemen appeared. The mountaineer seemed to embrace the whole column in one comprehensive look that was a smile of pleasure when it passed over the face of Helen Harley, a glance of curiosity when it lingered on Lucia Catherwood, an inquiry when it reached Talbot, who quickly explained his mission. All surrounded Wood, eager for news. "'We're going to meet down here somewhere near a place they call Spotsylvania,' said the journal succinctly. "'It won't be many days, two or three, I guess, and it will be as rough a meeting as that behind us was. If I were you, Talbot, I'd keep straight on to the south.' Then the general turned with his troopers to go. It was not a time when he could afford to tarry, but before starting, he took Helen Harley's hand in his with a grace worthy of better training. I'll bring you news of the coming battle, Miss Harley. She thanked him with her eyes, and in a moment he was gone, he and his troopers swallowed up by the black forest. The convoy resumed its way through the wilderness, passing on at a pace that was, of necessity, slow, owing to the wounded in the wagons, and the rough and tangled nature of the country, which lost nothing of its wild and somber character. The dwarf cedars and oaks and pines still stretched away to the horizon. Night began to come down in the east, and there the wilderness heaved up in a black mass against the sullen sky. The low note of a cannon shot came now and then, like the faint rumble of dying thunder. Lucia walked alone near the rear of the column. She had grown weary of the wagons, and her strong young frame craved exercise. She was seldom afraid or awed, but now the sun was sinking over the terrible wilderness, and the smoke of battle around chilled her. The long column of the hurt, winding its way so lonely and silent through the illimitable forest, seemed like a wreck cast up from the battles, and her soul was full of sympathy. In a nature of unusual strength, her emotions were of like quality, and though once she had been animated by a deep and passionate anger against the South, with which she now marched, at this moment she found it all gone, slipped away while she was not noticing. She loved her own cause none the less, but no longer hated the enemy. She had received the sympathy and friendship of a woman toward whom she had once felt a sensation akin to dislike. She did not forget how she had stood in the fringe of the crowd that day in Richmond, and had envied Helen Harley when, in her glowing beauty, she received the tribute of the multitude. Now the two women were drawn together. Something that had been between them was gone, and in her heart Lucia knew what it was. But she rejoiced in a companionship and a friendship of her own sex when she was among those who were not of her cause. It was impossible to resist sharing the feelings of the column, when it was in dread lest some wandering echo might be the tread of northern horsemen, she too was in dread. She wanted this particular column to escape, but when she looked toward another part of the wilderness, saw the dim light and heard the far rumble of another cannon shot, she felt a secret glow of pride. Grant was still coming, always coming, and he would come to the end. The result was no longer in doubt. It was now merely a matter of time and patience. The sun sank behind the wilderness. The night came down, heavy, black, 
and impenetrable. Slow thunder told of rain, and Talbot halted the convoy in the deepest part of the forest, where the shelter would be best, for he was not sure of his way, and farther marching in the dark might take him into the enemy's camp. All day they had not passed a single house, nor met a single dweller in the wilderness. If they had been near any woodcutter's hut, it was hidden in a ravine, and they did not see it. If a woodcutter himself saw them, he remained in his covert in the thicket, and they passed on, unspoken. Talbot thought it best to camp where they were for the night, and he drew up the wagons in a circle, in the center of which were built fires that burned with a smoky flame. All hovered around the blaze, as they felt lonely in this vast wilderness, and were glad when the beds of coal began to form and glow red in the darkness. Even the wounded in the wagons turned their eyes that way, and drew cheer from the ruddy glow. A rumor arose presently, and grew. It said that a Yankee woman was among them, traveling with them. Someone added that she bore a pass from the powerful Mr. Sefton, and was going to Richmond, but why, he did not know. Then they looked among the women, and decided that it could be none save Lucia. But if there was any feeling of hostility toward her, it soon disappeared. Other women were with the column, but none so strong, none so helpful as she. Always she knew what to do and when to do it. She never grew tired, nor lost her good humor. Her touch had healing in it, and the wounded grew better at the sight of her face. "'If all the Yankees are like her, I wish I had a few more with this column,' murmured Talbot under his breath. Lucia began to feel the change in the atmosphere about her. The coldness vanished.' She looked upon the faces that welcomed her, and being a woman, she felt warmth at her heart, but said nothing. Prescott crawled again from his wagon, and said to her as she passed, "'Why do you avoid me, Miss Catherwood?' A gleam of humor appeared in her eye. "'You are getting well too fast. I do not think you will need any more attention,' she replied. He regarded her with an unmoved countenance. "'Miss Catherwood,' he said, I feel myself growing very much worse. It is a sudden attack, and a bad one. But she passed on, disbelieving, and left him rueful. The night went by without event, and then another day, and another night, and still they hovered in the rear of their army, uncertain which way to go, tangled up in the wilderness, and fearing at any moment a raid of the northern cavalry. They yet saw the dim fire in the forest, and no hour was without its distant cannon shot. On the second day, the two editors, Raymond and Winthrop, joined them. "'I've been trying to print a paper,' said Raymond ruefully, "'but they won't stay in one place long enough for me to get my press going. This morning a Yankee cannon shot smashed the press, and I suppose I might as well go back to Richmond. But I can't, with so much coming on. They'll be in battle before another day.' Raymond spoke in solemn tones. Even he was awed and oppressed by what he had seen, and Winthrop nodded assent. "'They are converging upon the same point,' said Winthrop, "'and they are sure to meet inside of twenty-four hours.' When Lucia awoke the next morning, the distant guns were sounding in her ears, and a light flame burned under the horizon in the north. Day had just come, hot and close, and the sun showed the color of copper, through the veil of clouds hanging at the tops of the trees. "'It's begun,' she heard Talbot say briefly. 
but she did not need his words to tell her that the armies were joined again in deadly strife in the wilderness. They ate breakfast in silence, all watching the glowing light in the north and listening to the thunder of the guns. Prescott, strong after his night's rest and sleep, came from the wagon and announced that he would not ride as an invalid any more. He intended to do his share of the work, and Talbot did not contradict him. It was a time when a man who could serve should be permitted to do it. Talbot said that they would remain in the camp for the present and await the fortunes of the battle. It was not worthwhile to continue a retreat when none knew in which direction the right path lay. But the men, as they listened, were seized with a fever of impatience. The flame of the cannon and the thunder of the battle had a singular attraction for them. They wished to be there, and they cursed their fate because they were here. The wounded lamented their wounds, and the well were sad because they were detailed for such duty. The new battle was going on without them, and the result would be decided while they waited here in the wilderness with their hands folded. How they missed the secretary with his news! The mornings went slowly on. The sun rose high, but it still shone with a coppery hue through the floating clouds, and a thick blanket of damp heat enclosed the convoy. The air seemed to tremble with the sound from the distant battle. It came in waves, and save for it, the forest was silent. No birds sang in the trees, nothing moved in the grass. There was only the rumble of guns, coming wave upon wave. Thus, hour after hour passed, and the fever of impatience still held the souls of those in this column. But the black wilderness would tell no tale. It gave back the sound of conflict, and nothing more. They watched the growing smoke and flame, the forest bursting into fresh fires, and knew only that the battle was fierce and desperate, as before. Prescott's strength was returning rapidly, and he expected in another day or two to return to the army. The spirit was strong within him to make the trial now, but Talbot would not hear of it, saying that his wound was not healed sufficiently. On the morning of that second day he stood beside Lucia, somewhat withdrawn from the others, and for a while they watched the distant battle. It was the first time in twenty-four hours that he had been able to speak to her. She had not seemed exactly to avoid him, but she was never in his path. Now he wished to hold her there with talk. "'I fear that you will be lonely in Richmond,' he said at random. "'I shall have Miss Grayson,' she replied, "'and the panorama of the war will pass before me. "'I shall not have time for loneliness.' "'Poor Richmond, it is desolate now.' "'Its condition may become worse,' she said meaningfully. "'He understood the look in her eyes and replied, "'You mean that Grant will come?' "'Yes,' she exclaimed, pointing toward the flame of the battle. "'Can't you see?' Don't you know, Captain Prescott, that Grant will never turn back? It is but three days since he fought a battle as great as Gettysburg, and now he is fighting another. The man has come, and the time for the South is at hand. But what a price, what a price, said Prescott. Yes, she replied quickly, but it is the South, not the North, that demands payment. Then she stopped, and brilliant color flushed into her face. "'Forgive me for saying such things at such a time,' she said. "'I do not hate anybody in the South, and now I am with Southern people. "'Credit it to my bad taste.' "'But Prescott would not have it so. "'It was he who had spoken,' he said, 
and she had the right to reply. Then he asked her indirectly of herself, and she answered willingly. Hers had been a lonely life, and she had been forced to develop self-reliance, though perhaps it had taken her further than she intended. She seemed still to fear that he would think her too masculine, a bit unwomanly, but her loneliness, the lack of love in her life, made a new appeal to Prescott. He admired her as she stood there in her splendid young beauty and strength, a woman with a mind to match her beauty, and wondered how his fleeting fancy could ever have been drawn to another. She was going to that hostile Richmond where she had been in such danger, and she would be alone there save for one weak woman, watched and suspected like herself. He felt a sudden, overwhelming desire to protect her, to defend her, to be a wall between her and all danger. Far off on the northern horizon, the battle flamed and rumbled, and a faint reflection of its lurid glow fell on the forest where they stood. It may be that its reflection fell on Prescott's ardent mind and hastened him on. Lucia, he exclaimed, you are going back to Richmond, where you will be suspected, perhaps insulted. Give me the right to protect you from everybody. Give you the right, she exclaimed in surprise. But as she looked at him, the brilliant color dyed her face and neck. Yes, Lucia, he said, the greatest and holiest of all rights. Do you not see that I love you? Be my wife. Give me the right, as your husband, to stand between you and all danger. Still, she looked at him. And as she gazed, the color left her face, leaving it very pale, while her eyes showed a dazzling hue. The forgotten battle flamed and thundered on the horizon. No, she replied, I cannot give you such a promise. Lucia, you do not mean that. I know you do not. You must care for me a little. One reason why you fled from Richmond was to save me. Yes, I do care for you, a little. But do you care for me enough? Ah, do not interrupt me. Think of the time, the circumstances. One may say things now, which he might not mean in a cooler moment. You wish to protect me. Does a man marry a woman merely to protect her? I have always been able to protect myself. There was a flash of pride in her tone, and her tall figure grew taller. Prescott flushed a little and dropped his eyes for a moment. I have been unfortunate in my words, but believe me, Lucia, I do not mean it in that way. It is love, not protection, that I offer. I believe that I loved you from the first, from the time I was pursuing you as a spy, and I pursue you now, though for myself. She shook her head sadly, though she smiled upon him. She was his enemy, she said. She was of the north and he of the south. What would he say to his friends in Richmond, and how could he compromise himself by such a marriage? Moreover, it was a time of war, and one must not think of love. He grew more passionate in his declaration, as he saw that which he wished slipping from him, and she, though still refusing him, let him talk, because he said the things that she loved best to hear. All the while, the forgotten battle flamed and thundered on the northern horizon. Its result and progress alike were of no concern to them. Both north and south had floated off in the distance. Talbot came that way as they talked, and seeing the look on their faces, started and turned away. They never saw him. Lucia remained fixed in her resolve, and only shook her head at Prescott's pleading. But at least, said Prescott, that no is not to apply forever. I shall refuse to despair. She smiled somewhat sadly without reply, 
and there was no opportunity to say more, as others drew near, among them Mrs. Markham, wary and keen-eyed as ever. She marked well the countenances of these two, but reserved her observations for future use. The battle reclaimed attention, silhouetted as it was in a great flaming cloud against a twilight sky, and its low rumble was an unbroken note. When night fell, a messenger came with terrible news. Grant had broken through at last. The thin lines of the Confederates could not stand this steady, heavy hammering day after day. They must retreat through the wilderness and draw fresh breath to fight again. Sadly, the convoy took its way to the south, and in three hours it was enveloped by the remnants of a broken brigade, retreating in the fear of hot pursuit by both cavalry and infantry. The commander of the brigade, by virtue of his rank, became commander of the whole, and Talbot, longing for action, fell back to the rear, resolved to watch for the enemy. Talbot hated to exercise authority, preferring to act alone, and now he became a picket, keen-eyed, alert, while his friends went into camp ahead on the bank of a narrow but deep river. Presently he heard shots and knew that the skirmishers of the enemy were advancing, though he wondered why they should show such pernicious activity on so black a night. They were in battle with some other retreating southern force, probably a regiment, he thought, and if they wanted to fight, he could not help it. 